I am preaching today on the fire of the Holy Ghost, and I'm not ashamed. Praise God. I'm preaching on the fire, holy fire. Praise God. In fact, today's part one is called Great Commission Power. Everybody say Great Commission Power. Now, I'm going to show you why in just a moment. I want to start off by telling you that in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John the Baptist is in the water. He's baptizing people. They're repenting of their sins. And he is proclaiming, and he says these words, I indeed baptize you with water, but there is one mightier than I coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy, worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and, say it loud, fire. Come on, Holy Spirit and fire. I want you to know there's something called the Great Commission. You ever heard of the Great Commission? The Great Commission is not the Great Suggestion. Uh, some people have turned it into the Great Suggestion, uh, the, the Great Feeling. If I, if I feel like doing the Great Commission, I'll do it. It was a commandment. A commission is a command. Amen? I want to show you two, the two places in Scripture that deal with the final things that Jesus said to the body of Christ. The final command, if you will. The final commission to the body of Christ. They're found in Matthew 28, and they're found in Mark 16. I want you to listen to what is known widely as the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. Look at your neighbor tell him, Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. You need to underline that. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. That is widely known as the Great Commission. But even those that... Uh, everybody in the body of Christ talks about Matthew 28 as the Great Commission. But many in the body of Christ do not want to talk about another part of the Great Commission, which was also one of the final things that Jesus said to the disciples. And that is found at the very end of the book of Mark, chapter 16, verses 14 through 18. Later, he appeared to the eleven. To, somebody say the eleven. Here's why I want you to say that, because I want to get, get, get in your spirit, that he's talking about to the disciples. He's talking to the disciples. Uh, and they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief. He rebuked the disciples' unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, since this sounds familiar, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink any de anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about this was part of the Great Commission. He commissioned us not just to preach the gospel, but he commissioned us to lay hands upon the sick and see them recover. He commissioned us in his name to cast out devils. I wish I could get somebody to help me preach this morning. Come on, y'all second service, you should have had enough sleep. I said, can I get an amen? Some of y'all already on your third and your fourth cup of coffee, praise God. Some of y'all don't own your first pot of coffee, praise God. So I want you to know something that's very, very important. Jesus spoke these words not to a select group of preachers, even though the 11 were mentioned there. But if you'll remember, the commandment, I'm going to get to it in just a minute, get a little ahead of myself, of what would happen later on in Acts chapter 2 of the empowerment of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the creation of the church, there wasn't just 11 in that room. There was 120 in that room. It is not just a great commission to the disciples. Do you realize how silly it sounds to say that Matthew 28 and Mark 16 is a great commission to the original 12 apostles? You want to tell the 12 apostles who had no access to airplanes, who had no access to the internet, who had no access to any kind of mass travel, even a vehicle. All they had was feet and donkeys. And he, was, he tells them, you are to preach the gospel to every creature on the planet to in, cover Jerusalem, cover Judea and Samaria, and cover the uttermost parts of the earth. 
it is a virtual impossibility that that small group of people could have only been the ones he was talking to. He was talking to the body of Christ. He was talking to everyone. In fact, he emphatically says this. He says, he rebuked them for their unbelief, but he said, He who believes, do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe on the third day Jesus came back from the dead? Do you believe that Jesus is alive today? Do you believe that Jesus is coming back one day? Do you believe Jesus loves you? Well, then you're a believer. Come on, slap your neighbor and tell him you're a believer. Oh, excuse me, i got to rephrase that. Tap your neighbor. See, I heard that, I heard that. Tap your neighbor gently. Oh, in the name of Jesus. If you are a believer, the Bible says, listen, that he who believes and is baptized will be saved. You're saved because you're a believer, right? Then he says, these signs shall follow them who believe. Now I'm going to ask you again, do you believe? Are you a believer? Then these signs are supposed to be a part of your life. Not just the original 12. Come on. The first thing on your notes is this. The Great Commission needs His power to be fulfilled. The Great Commission needs His power to be fulfilled. You can't operate in the Great Commission without His power. I said you can't operate in the Great Commission without His power. Many people are confused on the subject when it comes to the Holy Spirit. You know, I am 100% convinced that Scripture teaches us that when we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes in our lives. It comes in our heart. Because, you know, you know the Bible says, Jesus said, if you want to understand the kingdom, listen to the kids. You, you ask a little kid that's been raised in church, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus at right now? He said, in my heart. In my heart. And you say, oh, that's so cute. But what they're really trying to say is the simplicity of the gospel. But how many knows that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the second part of the Trinity, is not in our heart? He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. But the reason it is biblically correct to say that Jesus is in my heart is because his spirit or his breath is inside of my spirit man. We serve one God that exists in three persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. They are one, but they can totally coexist and in, in manifest in multiple di- uh, the three different ways. Can I get an amen? That's the Trinity. That's why we believe in the Trinity. But watch this. He, Holy Spirit comes in me. But I'm not talking about something that happens at, at, at salvation that comes in us. I'm talking about a, an, an experience, an encounter with God that comes on us. And it comes on us for a specific reason. The Bible tells us over and over and over again in Scripture that the Holy Spirit gifts that come on us are for service to others. Come on. See, there's a great confusion when it comes to spiritual gifts. But Paul knew that even in the early church there was confusion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Look at your neighbor and tell him, don't be ignorant. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mean don't be stupid, which you don't need to be stupid either. But he's saying, don't have a lack of knowledge. I need you to know about spiritual gifts. It is important for every believer to know about spiritual gifts. Romans 12, verses 4 through 5, talks about how we are one body. But spiritually, gifts-wise, are spread amongst the body. For we have many, gift, many members but one body. But all members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, individual members of one another. In other words, within the body of Christ, there are many different members, and there are many different gifts that God distributes among the people. And, and within that house and within your own house, God wants those gifts to be distributed in such a way that all nine gifts are manifested and operational in your home and in this house. It's interesting to me. Let me just tell you the next thing on your notes and I'll get into that. The next thing on your notes is this, talking about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not the same thing as talents. See, I, I needed to put that in there because automatically people who are gifted to do things, they automatically say, they call it a God gift, God gifted talent. 
You ever seen it? You ever heard an athlete uh, referred to as, you know, that's just his God-given talent. But see, some people turn God-given talents into spiritual gifts. I'm not talking about that. How many of those, there's some people that can sing, sing, man. They can sing the house down, but they don't have a relationship with God, and their integrity and character uh, has disqualified them at that time in their life from, from serving on a high level. You've heard the statement before, our gifts will take us places that our character can't keep us. Our talents is what I should say. will take us places where our character can't keep us. So, so spiritual gifts is different than talents. I'm not talking about what you're good at. I'm talking about what he wants to do through you. Okay, you, you don't have to be outgoing. You don't have to have a loud personality to be used in spiritual gifts. In fact, some of those powerful, spiritually gifted people I've ever met in my life are quiet, introverted, and, and even backwards people. That would never have a microphone. That would never motivate a large crowd. But yet they are operational in the power of the Holy Ghost. When you know when you're around them, man, when they pray, they're going to touch God. See, the gifts of the Spirit are gifts that exclusively come from the Holy Spirit. That's why they're called the gifts of the Spirit. They're not the gifts of your spirit. They're the gifts of Holy Spirit. See, the next thing on your notes is a big one, and you've got to get this one deep in your spirit. If you're going to operate in the power of God, you've got to understand this one. The gifts of the Spirit are not for you. They are for service to others. I tell you what, the Pentecostal and Charismatic Church... Had, had for, I was raised in it. Uh, I'm not anything against my heritage. I thank God for my heritage. But I was raised in, in, to, to, in this mindset that the way you equated that God was there is based on the number of people that were doing the Holy Ghost helicopter or the Holy Ghost chicken or, or how many people fell out in the altars. And we, we, we'd say things like, my God, we had church the whole altar. People laying out like the slain in the spirit. Now, I mean, all this kind of stuff. I'm a, I'm a believer and all that but here's the reality a lot of times those services were just emotional people were just caught up in emotions because you can always tell when the spirit of god is moving it moves beyond that service it moves in their life on monday tuesday wednesday thursday and friday and saturday not just since on sunday some people won't be used by God and flow in the gifts of the Spirit in this house, but they don't ever flow in the gifts of the Spirit in their own house. Come on, are you hearing me? I'm tired of people equating the Holy Ghost to a goosebump. Whoo, the Holy Ghost is here. Do you see that? Do you see that? Woohoo! Sometimes you're just cold. Sometimes, sometimes your hair stands up on the back of your head and you automatically think, that's the Holy Ghost. Listen, I'm not saying that the Holy Ghost can't manifest that way. But I've been in services where not a hair on my arm stood up, nothing on the back of my head stood up. I wasn't crying, I wasn't emotional. But I knew God was there because I saw signs following them that believed. I saw people who were depressed getting joy. I saw people who were blind being able to see. I saw people being saved and born again and delivered. Alcoholics being set free. The gifts of the Spirit are not for you. I'm sorry. Oh, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. They will come on you and encourage you. Don't get me wrong. The gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will build up you. It will, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Listen, I'm not saying that God doesn't want to touch you. God wants to touch you. Are you thankful for a God that you can feel? Are you thankful that for a church where you can come and feel the presence of God and be refreshed? That's not what I'm saying. But when you pigeonhole an encounter with God, all about you. You've missed the entire heart of God. Think about it. Who's our greatest example? Jesus, right? Jesus, I preached to you, I think it was last week, last couple of weeks, I know. He, he came, the famous story, he came in the book of Luke. He came into the temple right after he had been baptized in the, in the river Jordan by his cousin, right after he had fought the devil in the wilderness. And he walked into the temple, and he, as, he, as his custom was, and the Bible says the priest grabbed the scroll of Isaiah and gave it to him, and he opened up it. In Luke chapter 4, the Bible says he found the place where it was written, put his finger on the page, and said in the temple, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has set me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then he said, this day, this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. He closed the book and then he sat down. In other words, he said, not only am I declaring myself to be the Messiah, but I am telling you that when the Spirit of God comes on me as a man, I know I'm God, I'm not man, but I'm operating as a man who is anointed by God. And you, when you see how I operate, it's the way I want you to operate. Because I'm, I'm leading by example. Jesus never did one thing other than being born of a virgin and die on the cross for our sins and come back from the dead as God. Everything else, those were as God. No man could not do that that everything from birth all the way up to the cross in the middle he did 100% as a man who happened to be God praise God so that he could say to us all these things that you see me doing you shall do also and greater shall you do if I go to my father I'm preaching better than you shouting in other words, he said when I go into a community I am a city I am moved with compassion on the city how many of those before he ever became, started his ministry? This is God now. I'm talking about he is God in the flesh. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Goes on to say in John 1, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We're talking about Jesus is God. But yet he was baptized by his cousin John, who had prophesied, as I just read, that I indeed baptize you with repentance and water. But once coming after me, who will baptize you beyond water, he will baptize you in Holy Ghost and fire. But remember when he stood before his cousin John, he said, John, I need you to baptize me. Listen to what he said. You've got to get this, man. It's so powerful. And I need you to baptize me, cuz. And he looked at me and said, cuz, I can't do that. I mean, I look at you and I see you as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I need you to baptize me. Jesus said, no, you don't understand. It has to happen this way. I have to show people this is the way you come to me. I have to show people this is how you flow. He said, okay, I'll do it. And he baptized him in water, even though he'd never sinned. But it was symbolic of, in order for you to go to the next step in the fire of God, you've got to go through the, to the baptism of repentance. And when he repent, he didn't repent, but he was symbolizing that to us. But watch what happened. It wasn't until he went under the water and came up out of the water, completely engulfed with the water, that the Bible said a voice came out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But wait a minute. We all know that part. But the next part is so powerful before Jesus ever began his ministry the Bible says and then the Holy Spirit came upon him as a dove came upon him as a dove now, now I'm not talking about it wasn't we see the movie the little beautiful white dove coming down it wasn't actually a dove he came on him as a dove meaning gentle meaning peace meaning I'm not going to force myself on you if you want to be empowered you're going to have to come after it I'm not going to make you take this I'm not going to make you walk in this come on you can go down in the water and come up but you better be pleasing unto the father you better be seeking after oh come on somebody Paul said, I desire spiritual gifts. Desire spiritual gifts. Be passionate about it. And if you, if you ask him to come, he'll come. He'll ask, but he's not going to force himself on you. I think it's key that it says he came upon Jesus like as a dove. And what happened? Here, here we have, other than when he was 12 years old and he was uh, lost in the temple and he was in there teaching the, the, uh, the, the, the priest there and asking questions and teaching the priest. Other than that, we have no thing, nothing written about him his entire life. But watch how everything changed at age 30 when he came up out of the water, praise God. He came up out of the water as a man who happens to be God and start looking for the devil, praise God. He went straight into the wilderness. He was led by his own spirit into the wilderness and he fought the devil face to face watch how he fought him he didn't fight him with emotion he fought him with his own word he said it is written devil it is written i know he's god i know he's god but remember he did what he did to show us this is how you fight the devil you need the word and you need an encounter with my spirit i'm preaching better you shouting this morning i thought i'd get a better shout than that and the Bible said after he, after he fought the devil, listen to it. Go back and read your Bible. Right before Luke chapter 4, the Bible says, And he came down the mountain in power. Yeah. 
He said he came down the mountain in power, preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The same word that John the Baptist preached, transferred in that river Jordan. And Jesus, that's why, that's why John the Baptist said, I must decrease now and he must increase. My job is done. Woo! Hallelujah. Slap your neighbors and tell them good news, Shoney's is open. But I would not advise going today because it's probably going to be packed. But I know the Lord is coming back when I, when I saw that Shoney's was being rebuilt in driving distance. Oh, when people go to church and they go to Shoney's. Well. I'm going to ask you a question. Knowing that Jesus taught this and he flowed in this before he ever began his ministry, he showed us. He went through the water. He fought the devil with the word. He had the spirit come on him. And how many knows nothing could stop him then? When he, when he closed the book and sat down in the temple, they enraged upon him because they, they knew he had proclaimed himself to be the Messiah and they desired to kill him. And the Bible said they took him out of the temple, took him all the way to the edge of the Mount Moriah and was going to push him off a cliff and kill him. And the Bible says he walked right through him and they didn't even know it. So let me tell you something. But remember, he did it as a man. Let me tell you something. There are times Holy Spirit will come on you and you can walk right through. The, David, even in the Old Testament, David said, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I'm talking about when the holy fire of God is on your life. You can walk in the midst of Daniel in the lion's den. Come on. A giant looks like nothing to you. We, listen, we got a covenant better than the old covenant. We got shepherd boys standing up in front of giants, killing lions and bears. But because they had a one-time come and go, God would drop his spirit on there and pull it off, drop it on and pull it off. Even Moses had to climb the mountain to encounter the glory of God. But he's given us 24-7 access to the glory of God. I wish somebody shout Amen. So is the baptism in the Holy Spirit really important to a believer? Of course it is. Let me make sure you understand me. In this church, other churches might believe different, but in this church, in case you're wondering, we do not believe that you need to have a baptism of the Holy Ghost experience to go to heaven. We believe the Scripture teaches us your, your entrance to heaven, your entrance to your names being written in the Lamb's Book of Life is repentance. Repentance of your sin, believe in your heart that God has raised from the dead, and thou shalt be saved. But I do believe if you're going to be what God has called you to be in your life to the fullest, you need an encounter with the Holy Ghost. Next thing on your notes is this. Jesus didn't suggest Holy Spirit baptism to the early church. He commanded it. You may not believe that, but guess what? You're wrong. Because I'm going to show you Scripture. How many of those Acts, Acts chapter 2 is called Holy Ghost Headquarters? Pentecostal headquarters. Why? Because that, but it should, it's more than that. It's where the church started. The church was created in that upper room. It wasn't just an encounter with God. The encounter with God that manifested in Acts chapter 2, that what we get the term Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost to fully come, there were one mind and one accord. That's where we get that. It was really more than just an experience with God. It was such an encounter with Holy Ghost fire that it birthed something called the church. That over 2,000 years later, people all over the world today are meeting and worshiping Jesus because of what happened in one room. I wish somebody get this, man. I'm stirred up, y'all. Listen to what he said right before Acts chapter 2. I'm going to shock y'all. Right before Acts chapter 2 is something called Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 says this in verse 4. This is, remember, this is right before he's about to lift his feet up off the ground and go to sit at the right hand of God. So this is one of the last things he ever said to humanity here on this earth before he's still speaking to us, but here in bodily form. He said, and being assembled together with him, he commanded them. Do you see that? He commanded them. 
He didn't say, hey, man, listen, I know y'all been cool. I appreciate y'all following me for three and a half years. I'm not trying to put any pressure on y'all. I mean, we're really low pressure here in this thing called the church. I'm trying to start. I know, I know you don't even know what that is. So listen, just you go get you some coffee. Go, go down to Starbucks. Y'all sit around. Y'all talk about it. And y'all have a little prayer meeting. Y'all pray about it. And if y'all feel like it, I'd really, really, really like it. It would help the church a lot. It would help us out because we really need some volunteers if you guys could just sort of meet together and hang out in, in Jerusalem. How many knows that's the, it sounds silly to us, but that's sort of how a lot of churches sound like today. It's, it's like we're so afraid to put any kind of demand on people. Because it's like, oh, you can tell me what to do. You can tell me what to do. Jesus made it pretty clear, didn't he? He said, I, he commanded them not just to go. He, he, he said, look, do not leave. Until He said, do not depart from Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me that John truly baptized with water. You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not days, many days from now. He's reminding them of how his ministry began. What happened to him? He's saying, what happened to me in the river Jordan? It is my will. The reason I came is so that it can happen to you. Are y'all hearing me? Is this good preaching? Now watch this verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, still religious. At, oh, oh, I got you. Are, you. are you saying at this time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He's like, dude, three and a half years I've been talking about this. You still don't get what I'm trying to say to you. It ain't got nothing to do with that. He said unto them, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. This is why I'm sending you there. Verse 8. But you shall receive power. Oh, come on, somebody. I, I, I thought somebody would help me. You shall receive what? Power. You shall receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come, how? Upon you. And you shall be what? Witnesses. Immediately, he, he said, look, I know you're going to get excited when it comes on you. I know you're going to feel something that you ain't never felt. I know you're going to get knocked out. You're going, you don't even know it, but everybody's going to think you drunk. I mean, it's going, it's going to mess you up. But you need to understand why it is happening. So that you can go tell people about me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. In other words, so that you can have the power to carry out the Great Commission. In other words, he's saying, I know I've told you in Matthew 28 and Mark 16 what I want you to do. But I know, you didn't know it, but I know that you, thought, you got excited about that and all that. But I know you could not even do what I've asked you to do without this encounter with the Holy Ghost in your life. So what did, what, saying in my notes, but can I preach a little bit right here? It's 12, 12. If, you, if some of y'all got to take a pill, it's 12, 12 right now if you're taking medicine. Just keeping y'all out. But uh, let me get a drink here. So after it happened, after the Holy Ghost fell, isn't it interesting that John said he'll baptize you with Holy Ghost and what? Fire. Everybody say fire. fire. And watch what happened. The manifestation of the evidence that the power of Jesus that he operated under, under had been distributed among the 120 was the Bible says, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven or divided tongues, and it set upon each of them, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. The evidence... That what God said was going to come and what John the Baptist had prophesied, they thought it was just going to be fire on Jesus. But Jesus never, his intention was never to just come and do great things and go back to his father. He came to open the door and give us access back to the kingdom. He said, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me and everything I got, I give to you. Ain't got time to preach this. 
See, you couldn't see, they couldn't see in the spirit realm, but if they could have saw in the spirit realm when Jesus was walking around from village to village, they would have saw fire all over him. Because that's the glory. The difference happened when, the, when, the bat, when they got in one see. So you cannot see the fire of God fully in disunity and, and in rebellion. The fire of God is everywhere all the time. But the only time that they finally were able to see it was when they all got in one mind and one accord. The same thing like in the, in the temple, when they dedicated the temple. The Bible says, as the priests began to sing one song, one sound, one sound as if one trumpet in one voice, that suddenly the house was filled with smoke. How many of those where there's smoke, there's fire? Mm-mm-mm. See, the Bible says in Mark 6, 16, that these signs shall follow them that believe. Do you believe? Here's the problem in many churches. We are following the signs instead of the signs following us. We're hopping from conference to conference to pastor to prophet to apostle of God, brings his little tin in, and we want to all go sign up and get a word. Oh, the prophet's in town. Girlfriend, y'all want to go with me? Let's go get us a word. Ain't got nothing against the traveling prophet. You already got a word. Huh? Why you need, why you need to, why you need to go, get on a plane, fly somewhere, get a word? You already got a word? Nothing against him. I ain't got no problem. You going to a conference. I go to conferences too. Sometimes you got to get outside of your bubble. But here's the reality. We ain't supposed to be seeking the sign. The sign's supposed to be seeking us. What did Peter do? What did the disciples do? Once they, then the Holy Ghost fell in the upper room, all of a sudden the Bible said they started praising him on such a level. Holy Ghost hit them, their bodies couldn't handle it. It was just like the priest. They couldn't stand the minister. They're trying to worship God. They staggered under the presence of God. Looked like a drunk man. Woo, glory to God. All, and the Bible says we know that because the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, the people saw them and said, these people are drunk. And it's an early hour. What kind of church you got? I mean, I mean, praise God, we drink in my church, but we don't drink for breakfast like these people because it's early in the day. That's what the Bible said. The Bible said it's breakfast time and they're already drunk. You got 120 alcoholic drug addicts, whatever, staggering around. You trying to, that's what they were saying. Because they, they, no human had ever experienced what they had experienced. So they're staggering on the prayer. And Peter stands up and listens to the words he says, so powerful. These men and women are not drunk as you suppose. Notice he didn't say they wasn't drunk. <laughs> they are drunk. But they are not drunk like you think they're drunk. They are not drinking what you think they're drinking. Huh? Huh? They did not stop at the package store on the way to the house of God on this one. You know what happened in most churches? If that was to happen today, the same thing that happened in the upper room was to happen in the church today somewhere in the world. Same exact scenario to where we looked around and was like, oh my Lord. And there's fire sitting on top of everybody's head. Smoke is filling the place. Wind is blowing. People staggering in the presence of God. You know what we do? We'd immediately get on social media and start tweeting about, come join the Pinson Revival. Charisma Magazine would pick it up. TBN would pick it up. Pastor Larry would be on Praise the Lord going, well, i tell you one thing. I don't know what it was. It was just I was just preaching one day, and glory to God, the glory just fell. But if you want to experience it, line up at 4 o'clock in the morning at Solid Rock Church, 5050 Pinson Valley Parkway, and you can come and experience the Pinson outpouring. Now, I'm not making fun of previous revivals because I know that God has, has, has had open heavens over certain places and people have come and experienced God. But let me tell you something. We're talking about God's perfect will. Watch what they did. They didn't say, hey, all y'all, he'd go over to the window. Hey, everybody, y'all come up here to the upper room and experience the upper room revival. No, they took, because they remembered the words of Jesus, and they took what they had and they left the room. Oh, I'm preaching, baby. You shout. They left the church service. And they start looking for somebody to help. They start what? They go straight into the temple. Here's a man who's lame. 
at the gate called Beautiful, shaking a, a cup, asking for money so he could get another shot, another pill. Peter said, hey, silver and gold, have I none? I just came from church, man. I gave it all away. It was one of them services. I ain't got nothing. He said, but I'll tell you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Oh, what in the world changed somebody that just a few weeks earlier he had denied and cursed that he even knew Jesus? What in the world would empower a man to be in such shame that he probably was thinking suicidal thoughts to say it? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I know you're lame. I know what the doctor said. I know what the expert said. Boy, get up in the name of Jesus. And he reached out and grabbed him and pulled him up. And the man went leaping and dancing in the temple of God. Hallelujah! I'm tired of people thinking they got to come. We got to get everybody here to experience this. My job on Sunday mornings, my job qualification is to equip you for the work of the ministry. Peter was so full of the glory of God that the Bible said his shadow healed the sick. I'm talking about when you have an encounter with holy fire and when it's actually sitting on you, praise God. You can walk into a room and not even think that you were even, you weren't even ready to preach. You ain't, even, you ain't got a word or nothing, but the glory of God be so strong on you. They're laying on the cots and his shadow touched them and they was getting up off the bed. How's that possible? There's no power in his shadow. It's just that his body was emanating. With the glory of God to such an extent. And how many of those, that don't just come on you because you go to church on Sunday morning at 9 or 11 o'clock in the morning. You've got to have an encounter with God that's seven days a week. 24-7. I'm going to tell, like, like, tell you something right now. What the, what it, what it, I'm not back, bragging on myself because I, I failed miserably on this myself. But I'm going to tell you though. I'm going to tell you this, I don't mean this cocky, but what you see is what you get. I am the same person on the street as I am here. This is who I am. I'm going to tell you something. I believe in this. I don't fake it. I ain't going to say no job to me. I believe in it. This is who I am. I take it to, me, to bed with me at night. Last night, just last night, I was having some stupid dream. I don't even remember all the details about it, but I do know this. That's the, one of the things that I was being tempted to do, and I had agreed to do it in my dream, was not of God. And let me tell you something. I'm in a deep sleep. My wife will tell you, when I go to sleep, I am gone. I, I ain't talking about no light sleeper, man. It, it don't take me long at all to go to sleep. When I get ready, lay my head down, I'm gone. I sleep good, y'all. And if y'all don't sleep good, I'm sorry to rub that in, but I sleep good. But in the middle of that dream, when I'm about to do something that I know is not right, that if I was to do that in real life, it would destroy my family, it would destroy everything. In my dream, I start praying in the Holy Ghost. The, I'm watching myself, and I'm just saying, tell them, my, my God. I'm praying in the Holy Ghost, and I, I'm, I'm sound asleep. I remember this. And all of a sudden, something came on me in my dream, and I said, you devil, in the name of Jesus, get out of my dream. That is not who I am. That is not who I'm going to be. You're a liar. And I woke up. And I woke up this morning. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning. I woke up, and I went, I'm going to tell you this honest God truth. I woke up, and I went, <laughs> I just sort of laughed. I said, thank you, Holy Spirit. I went right back to sleep. You said, well, that sounds silly to me. I don't care. I'm talking about when I go to bed, the Holy Spirit does not go outside my bedroom and sit outside my room and, and say, I'll be right here waiting on you when you wake up in the morning. Baby, He is in me. He is on me. He is in every fiber of my being. He don't leave me at Walmart. He don't leave me during an Alabama football game or an Auburn football game when people lose their testimony. Uh-huh. For some reason, that was the weakest amen I got this whole sermon. See, Paul, listen, I'm not preaching about speaking in tongues. I'm not preaching about a church that believes in speaking in tongues, although I believe in praying in the Holy Ghost. I, I, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say the Pentecostal church has wasted a, a whole lot of time and generations and generations trying to make Pentecost about speaking in tongues. 
It ain't about speaking in tongues. It's about an encounter with holy fire. Holy Ghost and fire. That's just a part of it. But make no mistake about it. Paul was not ashamed to speak in tongues. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, he says this, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Huh? Every time, I, I don't know why I think this, but every time I read that scripture, my entire ministry, every time I, I, I always go back, see some of y'all are so old school and some of y'all ain't never listened to country in your life and if you do listen to country, you don't even really know what country is if the only country you listen to is country now. I'm sorry, did I say that? Uh, I mean, but, but uh, uh, when I was a kid, my mama raised me on Elvis and country music, okay, all right, so sorry. But there was a Barbara Mandrell song that says, I was country when country wasn't cool. Y'all remember that one? I was country. When, I, I don't even know how it goes. But every time I read that, I think that Paul is sort of saying the modern equivalent would be like, y'all, y'all think y'all big and bad because y'all speaking in tongues. I was speaking in tongues before speaking in tongues was even cool. Come on, somebody. Before, before all y'all start speaking in tongues, I thank my God. That's what he said. He says, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all, man. I was doing doing this long before you even knew what it was so don't take what i'm about to say to make it sound like i'm coming against praying in the spirit because i'm proud that i pray in the spirit verse 19 yet in the church i all i'm doing is reading the bible yet in the church i would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. See, here's how, here's how we got a bad rap. Here's why people are scared to come here. Because they've gone to church services where everybody in the house is just speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, falling out, doing their own thing, got their own personal oil bottles, going around slapping oil on people. You don't even know who they are. Huh? And it, and it, and it just created such a spirit of chaos. And God's not the author of confusion. He flows. He flows. Come on, you hear me? So I'm not saying that praying in the Spirit is not appropriate in the body of Christ. I'm, un, I'm unashamed to tell you. Y'all know I'm a worshiper. When I'm right here, I'm going back and forth. I ain't trying to put on a show. I, I care less if you saw me or not. I'm building up myself in my ho most holy faith. I'm giving Him praise. Many times I'm praying in the Spirit. But I ain't, I ain't got my mic on for you to hear me. It's between me and God. Getting ready for what I know I got to do. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, many times, people will pray in the Spirit in a church service, but they will not pray in the Spirit in their own home. And the truth is, God would rather you have a relationship with God where you had an encounter with holy fire and praying in the Spirit in your home more than even in the house of God. Mmm. Because if I, listen, how many, how many believes in the power of the Holy Ghost? Okay, all right, now watch this. I'm not going to ask you to show hands of how many people believe in that, uh, speaking in tongues or, or has a, a spiritual uh, prayer language themselves, but most people in here either believe that or have that experience in their life or seeking that experience in their life. But I want you to think about the simplicity of it. If I, how many believes I'm anointed right now? I'm not trying to do that to, to, to do this. I'm just saying, how many knows your pastor is anointed? All right, when I preach, I preach under the anointing. All right, so I'm preaching under the anointing. What if all of a sudden I just start speaking in tongues and I start speaking in tongues for 10 minutes and then I close my book and I said, everybody have a great day. God bless you. It would be mass chaos because no one would have a clue what I'm saying. So the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, mm, getting ahead of myself, it's 1228. I guess I might have to preach on this again next week. Is to build up our most holy faith. That's what the book, the book of Jude says. Praying in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to skip over some things and I may come back to it uh, next week. But watch this. There are nine gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Nine gifts of the Spirit that are active in someone's life that has been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Are you with me, church? When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are a candidate to be used in one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. All right? So there's nine gifts of the Spirit that are introduced in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you're taking notes. Then, interestingly, we have right there next to it, chapter 13, which is called the love chapter, where you hear things like, though I speak with the tongues of angels and of men and have not charity or love, it profiteth me nothing. In other words, that I could speak in tongues, but if I don't have love in my life, 
it's worthless. Then you have 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which is the regulation of the gifts. So you have the introduction of the gifts, chapter 12. You have how you flow in the gifts in love, chapter 13. And then 14, you have Paul telling you how to flow in order in the gifts. Why would he even have to have that? Because he knew that man would always take something that's good from God and make it about them. He even, had, he even has to list in chapter 14 how many times it is appropriate for a message in tongues and interpretation to be done in a service. He says, if a man prays, gives, gives a message in tongues and interprets it, let it be two or at the most by three. So in other words, he says, look, there were church services where I was trying to preach and there was 10, 15 different messages in tongues and interpretation and I could never finish what God was trying to tell the people. And God was interrupting himself, supposedly. In their mind, but how many of God doesn't interrupt himself? So he says, so, I, so I'm, I have to, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, I even have to tell you that it's inappropriate. I've been in services many years ago. I was in one particular service, and the power of God was moving. And some of this is all brand new to you, so you may not even know what I'm talking about. And I'll, I'll explain that to you in the coming weeks. But there was something called a message in tongues where everything is quiet, and somebody gives a message in tongues and an interpretation. And it was so powerful, it happened three times. And you know what? I could feel, you could just feel it. You could just feel like it was about to happen again. And I literally, whether this is what it means or not, if the divine interpretation is not, I live by this. If the, if the literal sense makes sense, any other sense is nonsense. And the literal sense says, let it be two or at the most by three. And I took the microphone and I said, listen, there's no doubt the power of God's moving in here, but there doesn't need to be another message in tongues because if there is, I'll call you down because it goes against Scripture. So in this house, whether that's really what he meant or not, we're going we're gonna to fault on being lined up with scripture so so i told the church service that's it there's no more message in tongues interpretation anymore because god said let at the most be three times anything beyond that it's being made about the shout and all that kind of stuff you still with me church but the, the i don't have time to preach all this but listen to what you do need to hear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it lists all the nine gifts of the Spirit. And it ends those gifts of the Spirit by saying, but there is one same Spirit that works in all of these things, all the nine gifts, distributing to each one individually as He wills. So in other words, these nine gifts are not always operational 24-7 in your life. There is a need for them, God moves on you, and you move through one or more of the nine gifts, and you operate in that need. Because remember, it's not about you. Sometimes you are the need. I understand that. But most of the time, it's for someone else. But what I need you to get is before he ever lists the nine gifts, is what he says in chapter 12, verse 4. He says this, These are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one to profit for everyone. So what is the manifestation? The manifestation is the evidence. It is a gift from God that is given to everyone who is baptized in the Holy Ghost. Not everyone who is baptized in the Holy Ghost is always going to prophesy. Not everyone's going to have the gift of healing. Not everyone's going to have the gift of discerning of spirits. But he says, whatever this manifestation is, this manifestation is given to everyone. So what is it? Well, if you ask somebody a theologian or an expert, and especially if you ask people that are known as cessationists who do not believe that the, the, the gifts have ceased, that they died off with the apostles, you'll get a big different answer than this. They'll, they'll quote you scriptures that Paul wrote in the, in, in, in the epistles, which, by the way, the epistles are not the wives of the apostles. Come on. They're, they're the letters that were written after the book of Acts. Or they may quote you something that Jesus said in one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But you've got to understand something about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, any reference to the Holy Spirit is Jesus speaking of Him coming. From Romans throughout the epistles, it is all post-Acts chapter 2, and it is all telling us how to flow in these gifts. These are the regulation epistles. These are teaching us how to flow properly and in order in the gifts. 
The only book in the Bible that tells us, next thing in your notes is this, the book of Acts is the only book that details what happens at the baptism of the Holy Ghost in fire. It's the only place. So you can't, there's not one instance in any book past Acts that records what happens when somebody is baptized in the Holy Ghost. It is assumed that everyone knows what happens at that time. Now we're just talking about how to regulate and how to flow in order with what happens. Nobody's been filled with the Holy Spirit in the Gospels. But in the book of Acts, there are five recorded historical events where Holy Ghost baptism happens. There are three specifically, Acts chapter 2, the upper room, Acts chapter 10, when Peter meets Cornelius, Acts chapter 19, when Paul meets John's disciples and says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? He said, we've not heard, even heard of this Holy Ghost. They said, well, then how were you baptized? They said, we were baptized in John's gospel, the gospel of repentance. They had already repented and they were worshiping Jesus. He said, well, you need to know there's something beyond that. Receive you the Holy Ghost. And in Acts chapter 2, 10 and 19, they all spoke in tongues. The other two instances are in Acts 8 and Acts 9. Acts 8 tells the disciples laid hands on the apostles, the people of Samaria, and the Bible says they received the Holy Spirit. And it says some kind of powerful manifestation happened because Simon the sorcerer was so blown away by what he saw, what kind of manifestation he saw, that it, that it was greater than any of his sorcery powers, and he wanted to buy that power. Acts chapter 9, verse 17 tells about Paul, who had been struck with blindness on his road to Damascus, and Ananias laid hands on him and he received Jesus as his Savior. We know that Paul spoke in tongues because he says it. We just said, read it in Acts chapter 14. I mean, uh, Acts chapter whew, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 when he said, I think, my God, I speak in tongues more than you all. So five instances of people being filled with the Spirit. Three specifically say, uh, spoken in tongues. One implies and says, and, and, and they spoke and they prophesied as in the beginning. What? The beginning of what? The beginning of the church. Acts chapter 2. And the other one was Paul having hands laid on him. And the Bible said he received the Holy Spirit in his life. So I'm going to tell you something. If that's the case, then our model of what happens when somebody experiences Holy Ghost fire in their life is the book of Acts. So, if you, so you, you can hear people try to tell you that they don't believe in this, don't believe, and, I, and I respect that. But I respectfully disagree. And I respectfully ask you this one question. How are you going to lay hands on the sick and see them recover without the power of God in your life? How are you going to look at someone manifesting demonic activity, cursing God, slobbering all over themselves, full of the devil? How are you going to take authority over that devil and tell that devil to go without the power of God? And that was the Great Commission. Amen?